Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 214 of the Independent Advisors Podcast where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So happy Thursday, Matt. How you doing, Mark? You guys on baby watch? We are uh, on baby watch. Uh, Kenzie, I think, has been having minor contractions. So hopefully we're getting closer and closer because Sunday will be 40 weeks and she is very, very, very ready to have this baby. So. The world's about to change. I'm so excited for you. It is. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're uh, soaking in, you know, watching our shows and not having any responsibilities at night and just kind of <laughs> hanging out. So uh, trying to rest up as much as possible. So that's right, my friend. Uh, as always, we will begin by reviewing the performance of the major market indices that we track for the month and the year. Uh, this data is from YCharts. S&P 500 index down 4% for the month, but still up 14.7% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 2.2% for the month, up 4.9% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index down 6.1% for the month and up 28.7% for the year. The Russell 2000 Small Cap Index down 6.5% for the month and up 6.6% for the year. And the Vanguard All World X United States ETF down 6% for the month and up 5.9% for the year. Three month Treasury rate at 5.56%, two year Treasury rate at 4.97%, and the 10 year Treasury rate at 4.28%. And that's kind of where I want to start today, Matt. Okay. 10 year Treasury yield is at its highest level since uh, about 2008. So we're talking about 15 years. Um, so, uh, very interesting. Uh, do you have anything to add to this? Um, are you surprised? Not surprised? My first comment is the narrative right now in the market. The narrative has changed from when is the Fed going to stop raising to how long is the Fed going to keep rates at this level? Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing more and more market participants now starting to talk about how long this 10-year yield is going to hang around in these low fours, where the narrative it felt like two months ago was, well, you better pick your entry point later this year with peak rates. They're going to come down in 2024. So it's just interesting the last couple of months how this narrative has changed to we're starting to see light at the end of the tunnel on these Fed interest rate hikes, but now it's how long are they going to keep them here? And the thing that's interesting, the last point I want to make has to do with inflation. You know, you're seeing inflation data has come in. We're in the low threes right now. And so normally you would see this 10 year interest rate on the uh, Treasury be similar to kind of the uh, expectation of longer term inflation. And so what is that telling you? You, is, the mar is the market thinking what the inflation is going to revamp and yeah. go back the other way? What's it telling you? So right. those are my two observations that I have about the 10-year right now. Yeah, um, and obviously it's no no secret that the market's in a uh, 
let me clarify this minor sell-off right now, which is completely normal uh, given the year that we've had. But I think the interesting that stood out to me, Matt, was even in the midst of this August sell-off, the defensive sectors aren't really outperforming or taking the baton, which to me is signaling that at least for right now, that this is still going to be short-term in nature. And when I say short-term, I'm saying a couple of weeks to like a month and a half, maybe two months. It definitely um, feels that way. And I was going to bring this up if you didn't, that you were talking about seasonality in these pre-election years. And you've talked yeah. about this on the podcast that, hey, traditionally August and September are usually, you know, not rough months, but sideways just months, weaker, yeah. down months, weaker months. It's just interesting how the seasonality is playing out almost perfectly this year. Yeah, it is. And, you know, if we thought that this was going to be something more than just, you know, a minor correction, I think we would start to see things like uh, consumer staples and healthcare outperform, utilities, utilities outperform. Um, I think you would start to see uh, high yield spreads start to, to move up uh, and to the right. And when you look at it on a graph and that's just not happening right now, could it happen? Absolutely. It could, you know, could come to fruition in a couple more weeks, but with all of the data that we have right now, I, I really do think this is going to be short-term in nature. Agreed. So moving on to tweets, articles, and research from this week. The first thing I had, Matt, was a quote from John Nisbet. And uh, I really love this one. He says, quote, trends like horses are easier to ride in the direction they are going. <laughs> I love that quote. So, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent proponent of you know trend trend following and, and writing trends out and I think this is an important one because I think when people are looking from the outside in they think that investing is about picking bottoms buying bottoms picking tops selling tops and to me, that's not what investing is about. It's catching the main meat of the trend in between the bottom and the top. And whether we get into a name that bottomed 5% ago or 30% ago, you know, the goal is to stay in that trend while the stock is going up and to the right and not necessarily trying to, to top tick something or, or catch a falling knife per se. And I know we talk about that a lot here, mm -hmm. um, but I think John put it uh, pretty nicely there. I love it. Great quote. Uh, second thing I had was uh, research from Ryan Dietrich and the Carson Group. So Jenna will throw this up on the YouTube video and in our show notes. So what they show here uh, from Carson, Matt, is five-month win streaks and what that means for the S&P 500 going forward over a one-month, three-month, six-month, and 12-month uh, return, right? So yep. Um, Ryan goes back all the way to 1950 and picks out all of the times where the S&P 500 has been positive for five straight months. And what does that mean going forward? Because yep. I think the perception out there is, hey, market's been strong for five months. There's got to be a pullback or correction in there somewhere. But the data is pretty interesting, Matt. So if you look back all the way to 1950 through 2023, uh, we've had several instances where the S&P 500 has been positive for five months in a row, and the average return going forward 12 months later after that five-month win streak, S&P 500 is up 12.5% on average in 
positive 93% of the time. There's a lot of data sets there, buddy. Yeah, and you compare that to just all years and all periods from 1950 to 2022, average return 8.9%. So I think this is another piece of research that adds to my thesis of strength begets strength and not necessarily, you know, just because the market has been strong, that doesn't mean that it can't keep going. Yeah. I mean, my words of wisdom is, you know, if you're under allocated to equities, you know, you're getting some fat pitches right now, might want to take a serious look at it. If you're under allocated in regards to your long-term goals and objectives, risk tolerance, et cetera. But, you know, now's the time you need to be taking a closer look at this stuff. Yeah for sure. Um, last thing I have was a blog post from Ben Carlson, uh, and this was back on August 6th, and it was titled, Even When the Stock Market Goes Up, It Still Goes Down. So he says, the stock market is unpredictable, especially in the short term, but it's important to understand that even in the really good years, there's a decent chance you'll have to live through a correction along the way. Excuse me. Since 1928, the S&P 500 has finished the year up 10% or more 55 times. In 23 out of those 55 years, there has been a correction from peak to trough in that same year of 10% or worse. In that same time frame, the stock market experienced 34 years with gains of 20% or more. Out of those 34 years, there have been a correction of 10% or worse on the way to those gains in 16 years. So in almost half of all years, when the U.S. stock market is up by 20% or more, there has been a double-digit correction during the journey to those wonderful gains. If you don't believe me, here's the data. Jenna will throw this up on the, the YouTube page, but it shows uh, all of the years since 1950 uh, in the S&P 500, where the full year return has been 20% or more. Um, years that stand out to me, Matt, 1933, the S&P 500 was up 50%, but you had to live through a drawdown of 30% to get those gains, right? Reach. Uh, 1980, uh, S&P 500 up 32%. There was a drawdown of 17% to get to that gain. Um you know, 2009, the S&P 500 up 26%, and there was a uh, correction of 27%, almost 28% during that year. So you start to see this theme that, you know, when you have big years, it could also come with pretty big corrections. And that's why you need to have your game plan, stick to your game plan. Don't let your emotional biases get in the front of your portfolio. Well put. I saw a piece this past week because um, the gentleman who was behind the big short just came out and he announced that he was short the market and he was short the market so substantially. I saw a follow up post of all of his calls the last decade, the timing he came out. And you want to guess something, Mark? He hasn't done too well last decade. Okay? So do, do you have this for later today or no? Because I no, have I this just, to bring, I had this to bring up tomorrow, but I'm just gonna throw an extra one here for me really quick since you brought it up, Matt. Go. So this was a tweet by Seth Golden on Tuesday of this week. So this was on uh, the 15th. So he tweeted and said, "Michael Burry and the S&P 500 forward 12 month returns." Turns out Burry has been extremely strong contrarian indicator, favoring savvy bulls. So here are the things, and we can have Jenna throw these in the show notes for, for people too. 
All right, starting in 2005, Matt. In 2005, he predicted the collapse of the subprime mortgage market. Housing market crashes in 2008, and there comes the global financial crisis. So that was a good call. One for one, right? Yep, yep. On Dece- in December of 2015, he predicted that the stock market would crash within the next few months. The S&P rallied 11% the next 12 months, one for one. On May in 2017, he predicted a global financial meltdown. Over the next 12 months, the S&P 500 was positive by 19%. He's one for two. In September of 2019, he predicted the stock market would crash due to a bubble in index ETFs. Over the next 12 months, even with COVID, S&P 500 was positive by 15%. So he's now one for three. In March of 2020, he revealed a massive bearish bet. uh, And over the next 12 months, the S&P 500 was up 72%, one for four. In February of 2021, he predicted that the stock market would crash due to a speculative bubble. He shorts Tesla. S&P 500 over the next 12 months is positive by 16%, one for five. September of 2022, he predicted that the stock market warned of more failures, bottom not hit yet. Over the next 11 months, S&P 500 positive by 21% and the market bottom in October that year. One for six or one for seven. I can't keep track. January of 2023, he predicts a recession and the new round of inflation. He says to sell. Year to date, S&P 500, when this was uh, put out there two days ago, positive by 17%. One for seven. August of this year, he reveals short positions on the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. I'm sure that there were some things he, in between 2005 new, and here. He's my Matt, new Dennis Gartman. He's my new Dennis Gartman. One for seven or one for eight. So this is the stuff that I mean, where it's like, you know, pay attention to the actual data instead of instead of these people. I mean, this guy, he made a, a boatload of money in the housing crash and he was spot on. And, and that's awesome that he was able to. To point that out, but. Just because he was uh, right once doesn't mean he's going to be right again. And this just goes to show you, you know, he's wrong more often that he's right. And the really the sad thing about this, Matt, is the the media, all they show is Michael Burry, person who called the housing crash, has a massive short position on S&P 500 and the Nasdaq. And that's it, right? It's just a a headline grabber and they don't show you that information. That's why I like sites like Twitter, because there's a lot of people that are like, whoa, 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 wait, wait one second. Let's put some data behind this. Let's see what his other predictions have have come up. So, um, yeah, sorry to throw an extra one in there, but I I was going to save that for another week. But that was uh, very interesting to me. Well, he's officially been added to my uh, my contrarian uh, 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 canary in the coal mine uh, list. Uh, Dennis Gartman will go down in history as my favorite <laughs> canary. Uh, but uh, this guy's quickly coming up the list for me. OK, he is. He is. Hey, did you hear that someone started an inverse ETF of Jim Cramer because of his? I pitch? did. 
yeah, that's something going wrong Twitter. that someone actually created the ETF that just does the opposite of what he says. There is, yeah. There's, a, I think there's a Twitter account. It's the inverse it's Jim Cramer, and it like it keeps track of all the positions, which is pretty funny. That's hilarious. All right, we're uh, sidetracked. I apologize. You. No, you're good. All right, so um, there's been a lot of talk about the American consumer lately, Mark. There really has, and I think there's a lot of misinformation out there with the media. So I saw a Twitter post by uh, CNBC anchor Carl Cantania. And he was referencing this, Mark, on August 11th, sir. And he was quoting Bank of America, okay? Now, this is interesting because he has three specific charts from Bank of America research that I would like to talk about and share with our listeners uh, and our viewers on YouTube. So let's start with the first one. Jenna, will put this up for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes across all of our social media sites. This shows the percentage of mortgages out there uh, that are floating, in essence, variable. And um, shocker, not many people have variable rate mortgages. Why am I highlighting this? There's a lot of people out there that are sitting with sub 4% mortgage rates, and they're really doing well right now compared to someone who just moved in right next door. And if they didn't pay cash, they have a 7% rate. That's putting a lot more money in the consumer's pocket. Chart number two, consumer balance sheets. This chart from Bank of America goes back to 1980. It shows financial obligations as a percentage of disposable income. Now, this is the biggest one for me. The perception that's being put out there is that the American consumer is very stretched and that their debt load is unsustainable. I mean, are you hearing this too? Mm -hmm. Okay, what does this chart tell you? I'm going to let you interpret it. Uh, that the consumer is pretty healthy, healthier than it was from 1980 until 2020. <laughs> so what I see happening is people are talking about what has happened to the consumer balance sheet the last 12 months. Yes, debts are up the last 12 months. Can't get around that. All of a sudden, you start zooming out a little bit. You get a different perspective. Oh, wait a minute. American consumer is actually not that bad off. Then you go to chart number three. You ready for this? Real wages. Real wages net out inflation. Guess what's happening? It's back positive. Yes, did the consumer get squeezed the last couple of, say, 12, 18 months with inflation? Absolutely. But you know what you're seeing is inflation is starting to come down. We're in the low threes right now. And you're seeing, you're seeing real wages actually positive. So let's go through this. We got, we got debt to income ratios are not screaming crazy. We actually have real gains in wages after you take into account inflation. You have a jobs market that is still staying resilient. Pre-COVID, you had 7 million job openings. That right now today is at nine. I'm just saying, when someone comes to me and says, oh, you know, the American consumer is stretched, not right now. So my last point is, we got to keep an eye on the student debt resumption of those things needing to be paid in October. So I think as earnings season kicks off in the middle of October, 
I want to see what those banks are saying on the conference call. They got real time data. Banks like JP Morgan, I want to see what they're saying about their customer base. At the end of October, I want to hear what these retailers are saying. But as of right now, that is completely false. It, what I'm seeing in the data, the consumer is in a fine spot right now. Okay. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And just one thing to note, too, because we were talking about housing a little bit and mortgages, I think because there are so many people that locked in low rates when everyone was refinancing, when rates were really low, you know, I think I can't remember where I saw this or where I heard this, but I think there's something like close to record record amount of equity in people's homes uh, ah. in 2023, um, yes. which yes. is really interesting because that even makes consumers financial position that much stronger because if they needed to for whatever reason they could tap into their home equity um, to free up some capital so that's another thing that's interesting that you know obviously first-time home buyers over the past 12 to 18 months I feel horrible you know for because it hasn't been very affordable um, but most of the people that own homes today locked in a really low rate and they have access to their equity in their home I keep hearing comments from uh, various clients that, you know, homes are still going like that. You know, you homes on the market for a couple of days, getting good offers. So even though there's a lack of inventory, it seems that uh, right now prices are being sustained, at least from what I'm seeing, uh, boots on the ground. Yeah. All right. My next point is an interesting tweet about recessions. Okay. Whoa. This is this guy a bodybuilder? I don't know. All right. So I just recently started following this cat because uh, of this of this specific tweet. It caught my eye. Joe. So this guy's name is Joe Consorti. He says he's a market analyst at Bitcoin Layer. Never heard of him. OK. All right. So here's the tweet. His, though. His, uh, for, we won't put it up on the on the video, but his like banner in in Twitter is like bodybuilding flexing. He's completely jacked. I he's completely oh, jacked. If that's him. If that's, that's him. That's I'm that's assuming him. it is. There's no head. It's cut off from like the, the chest up. It is. It is. So this is what he had. Okay. And I thought it was great. So uh, I'm going to read the tweet verbatim. Here we go. Soft landing headlines always surge when the Fed nears the end of its interest rate hikes. A transient period when rates peak, but the economy is still okay. It only lasts a few months. Then the lag hits in the economy unwinds. He says this time is no different. There will be no soft landing. Now, I want to put this chart up. Jenna will put it up for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes. This is a chart that goes back to 1999. And what it does is it shows the Fed funds rate. Okay. And what it does is it shows the amount of soft landing headlines. And what I find very interesting with it is when these uh, soft landing headlines peak, you start to see interest rates um, are static. They, they're at their peak terminal rates. They don't change them. And then when they start to lower, boy, do they lower quick. Now, okay. there's, there's some problems with these data sets that I want to throw out there first because I want this to be a roundtable between you and me. The first thing is, 9-11 okay uh, i remember the tech bubble lived through it and the economy was actually starting to you know do better in, in that september 
But when you have such a major geopolitical event occur, you know, all bets are off. OK, so in my opinion, the data set is skewed because of 9-11. So then the other major data set that you have that's relevant is going to be the great financial crisis. That was the worst market environment, arguably since the Great Depression. True or false in your opinion? Yeah, true. OK, so now you got two of these data sets, in my opinion, that are tainted. OK, so then you're left with one. And that is obviously going to be uh, the market back in 2018 in 2019. And, you know, ultimately what happened in 2020, Mark? COVID, COVID. And rates went to zero, almost zero. So this is getting floated around Twitter a lot over the past week or so. And so initially I was like, oh my gosh, this chart's got some credence. And all of a sudden I started looking at it and I started thinking exactly what I just verbalized to you and our listeners and viewers. And it, it's not exactly apples to apples comparison, my opinion. Now, am I suggesting that the Fed's gonna navigate a perfect soft landing? You and I both know it's not gonna happen. Now, when you look at this the next week, you're going to see a lot of headlines from the Fed. This is their annual Jackson Hole beating coming up at the end of August. This is a very popular time for them to do something called Fed speak. The next Fed meeting is on September 20th. In my opinion, you're going to see either interest rates stay where they're at or one more hike. But I'm in the camp that you're going to start to see the rates lower slowly beginning in 2024. And are they going to navigate a perfect soft landing? yet to be seen but you're seeing headlines like this and people you know forecasting there's no way that they can have a soft landing and the more people that are saying there's no way they can have a soft landing the more i believe they actually could yeah no i i think you're right it's going to be uh interesting to see if they could thread this needle because at the beginning of this year everyone was like there's no way we're going to have a, a deep really recession bad recession and then Okay, we're only eight months down the road from that, and now people are like, "Yeah, yeah things they they might be able to land this puppy." But I mean, no one knows. No one knows. That's um, right. So that's interesting. Speaking of Jackson Hole, have you ever been to Jackson Hole? I've not. I want to go. It's crazy expensive. Yeah, uh, but it looks great. Um, I, I mean, my wife would love it from a birding perspective. For those yeah, that don't Kenzie know, my wife's a big to... bird watcher. She um she has a big birthday, uh the big three O coming up in January, and she has been wanting to go to Jackson Hole with my brother and my sister in law. That's what I said. I was like, it's really expensive. Number one, we're going in the middle of winter. Number two, mm-hmm. we're not outdoorsy people. Me, my wife, or my brother or my sister in law, not outdoorsy people. So what are we gonna do? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm having a hard time understanding why we would go there because. There's not a whole lot. We we don't we don't ski, so we. I would go. I would go in the eating, summer. drinking. I would go and, in the summer. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I would I go throw in the that summer. out there. My vote on that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to end my piece with a quote. This is wonderful. You started your bit with a quote. I'm ending mine with a quote. This is from Steve Burns. Embrace volatility as an old friend. For it is unpredictable movements lie hidden the opportunities of tomorrow. Yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, we wouldn't uh, wouldn't have the lovely returns that we get in the stock market if we didn't have volatility. So uh, volatility is it's it's always viewed viewed as a foe, but um, but is is a nice buddy every now and then. Let's remember, people, corrections are normal in the market. Okay, Mm -hmm. it's normal. You know, so just you talked about that earlier in the in the in the podcast. You know, there's no free lunch. You want equity like returns. You got to deal with equity like volatility. It's the way it works. Right. Right. Well, we have a listener question this week, Matt. This one was from uh, Lori. Uh, she says, just wondering whether you guys have done a podcast on how a digital economy would affect our investments. You know, I we haven't done a specific dedicated podcast to it, but we've talked about it a lot. I mean, the first thing I'd like to point out is a quote, Mark, that you talk about uh, a lot over the years since we've been doing the podcast, which is what is the biggest deflationary factor that you've seen? What is it? Technological innovation. There you go, buddy. And so you got to think about when it comes to investing, what are going to be these disruptors? And if you look at the past decade and you look at a lot of stock returns, a lot of stocks near the top that have been disruptors of certain industries. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I want to be cautious to not start naming names because I just want people to go out and, and, and buy these things. But what I'm getting at is you got to focus on the disruptors and, you know, Ultimately, with the digital economy that's coming, technological innovation is proving improving productivity. And so from a company standpoint, do they want to deal with a worker who's calling off, wanting more in wages? Or are they going to invest more in automation? And I think you're just going to see more and more of that. What's the biggest sector of the S&P 500 index, Mark? Tech. There you go. And so... These are things that you just have to be aware of. Those are my comments I wanted to start with. What's your thoughts, Mark? Yeah, I would say that I think it's just going to kind of be more of the same that we've seen since, you know, really over the past hundred years. So if you think about it, you know, every innovation that we've had, I think you could go back and find some data where people are saying, oh my God, this is going to kill so many jobs. You know, it's going to put people out of work. I mean, everything from the train to the car, um, you know, to, you know. The internet. The internet, right? Everyone said that all of these new innovations were going to, you know, just kill jobs and people are going to be out of work. And here we are today and everything's still fine. And I'm hearing the same exact thing with AI. And Will it take away jobs? Yeah, I think it will, but it's also going to create new jobs and new opportunities for people. So I don't think so. I mean, I guess just to answer Lori's question directly, I don't think it's going to change anything from what we've seen over the past 50 to 100 years. It seems like every five to 10 years, companies get more efficient. AI is going to make companies more efficient. It's going to lower the need for manual labor. So these companies' earnings are going to continue to get better and better. Their revenues are going to continue to get better and better. Their margins are going to continue to get better and better. But that's really no different from what we've seen the past 50 years. So I think the digital economy is just going to continue to make things more efficient, and it's going to make companies more profitable. So um, that would be my answer in, in short form, at least. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you just one last example. Think about 15 years ago, 
you know, were you envisioning, you know, Microsoft Teams and Zoom and remote working to the extent that it is today and how normalized it's become in this post-COVID environment? I mean, look what's happening right now to commercial real estate. You know, you got companies that are cutting back on their physical footprint because they just don't need as much of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I agree with you. Things are going to continue to evolve, but it's really not that much different from what people have had to face from an investing standpoint the last decade. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm going to be interested to see what the new shiny object is in like 20 years, because I'm not guaranteed, but pretty damn sure that if you think AI is disruptive, just wait and see what we have in 20 years from now. No, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, we're going to come back to these podcasts that we, you know, I, when I go back and I look at our podcast from when we started four years ago, you know, I kind of chuckle, you know, uh, and then we're going to do the same thing, you know, a decade from now. Things yeah. that we were talking about, what the market was focused on, right? Yeah. When we're old and withering away. Yep. Yep. We'll past, be the, past the time. We'll be the, we'll be the guest on the podcast probably at that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. talking about, well, back when we were managing money. Back in the day. <laughs> Lori, thank you for the question. Great roundtable between Mark and I. We very, very much appreciate it. Um, Mark, anything else you want to leave our listeners and viewers with? I don't think so. Um, Hopefully, I'm not in a bad way, but hopefully I'm not on the podcast next week because the baby's here. Um, So I might be uh, MIA for a couple weeks, but um, yeah, and I, I will definitely inform our viewers and listeners if that is the case. I'll make sure they know that mama and baby are all healthy, so I will spread that news uh, for them. You know, besides that, that, you're going to see some Fed headlines coming up at the end of the month here. Some Fed speak from Jackson Hole. I expect uh, Jerome Powell to talk tough, still on inflation. He'd be the tough guy. That's yep. what I expect. Yeah, especially with with yields doing what they're doing and kind of possibly forecasting that inflation is going to turn back higher again. So um, be watching that and be interested to hear what he has to say. Me too, sir. Well, thanks everybody for listening to episode 214 of the Independent Advisors podcast. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week and enjoy the weekend. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. 
All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.